And I am excited to get back into the book of Romans. We have been in the book of Romans for several months now, as many of you know. And we are in the last half of chapter 15. Next week we will complete Romans. By doing chapter 16 next week, Paul will be signing off of his, his letter. Keep in mind some things as we look at the, the end of chapter 15. This is a circular letter. Paul wrote this to the churches in Rome, so he expected them to receive the letter and then begin to circulate it through all the churches. It wasn't to one church as many of his letters were. And so uh, that's a little bit different of this. And, and he spent the first 11 chapters really explaining how mankind, all of us, are depraved and we are dark at our hearts, we are sinners, we are sinful, and we are far from God. How God's perfection is way over here, but by his mercy and his grace, he allowed us to understand the gospel, which brings us together. And so it's important for us never to think that we're pretty good people. We got it kind of worked out because it minimizes the size of the gospel. As long as we remember how depraved we are, and we remember how great and wonderful God is, that keeps the gospel as big as it is. And so we need to keep that in mind. Then in verse ch uh, chapter 12, he took a little bit of a turn to becoming very practical in how to do this. Uh, not only to help our understanding uh, in the first 11 chapters, but then how to put this into practice. What does it mean for real life? I gotta be honest with you, one of the reasons that I uh, became a really committed Christian in college was because Christianity works out for me. It just makes sense. It works out for me. It works out in my daily life. Uh, there are so many things and ways that it just is so practical. And so that's uh, one of the reasons why I really committed my life to Christ. Uh, so today we're going to look at Romans chapter 15, verses 14 through 33. Paul begins to kind of sign off. And, uh, you know, when you finish a letter, I'm sure you write sincerely or love or see you later or whatever you write there at the end. You got one little phrase in your name. Uh, Paul it kind of signs off over a page and a half. And so he's beginning to do that, but he wants to remind them of some things. He wants to tell them some things as he's kind of signing off. Uh, but let's read chapter uh, 15, verses 14 through 33, and then we'll come back and take it apart. But I want you to think about this title today, Gospel Saturation. Because I want you to see that what Paul's trying to tell them is the, the gospel should saturate every part of their lives. He should be a part of everything they do. He is, the gospel is a part of his life, of every part of his life, and it should be for us too. So let's read chapter 15, verses 14 through 33. Here's what it says. Paul says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. By word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written... Those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain 
and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessings of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. We see several principles here as Paul begins to sign off, and the first is this. Paul is encouraged by the Romans' maturity. He's encouraged by their maturity. Look what it says back in verse 14. He says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. So three very specific things that he says there. He says they're full of goodness, which means they're doing the right things. They're doing the right things. They're living the right way. They're filled with all knowledge. That doesn't mean that they know everything, but it means that they know and practice right doctrine. They have right theology. They have right thinking, and they're able to instruct one another. They're passing it on to others. Wow, that's three great phrases, isn't it? Wouldn't it be great if Fellowship of Grace was known this way? Wouldn't it be great if people go, hey, you know that church in Parkville? You know, I don't know a lot about them, but there's three things I know about them. They do the right things, they believe and teach the right things, and they pass it on to their kids and everybody who will listen. Wow, that's a pretty good reputation. In fact, this is very unusual for Paul because usually Paul's writing a letter to correct the church, to correct their behavior, or to correct their thinking or their theology on something. Here Paul's very specifically saying, listen, I'm satisfied with you guys. You guys are doing good. I'm really happy. Now, why in the world uh, would he spend 11 chapters reiterating the gospel and then tell him, hey, listen, I'm just encouraging you guys are doing the right things? We'll, we'll see that in a minute. But it's important that we keep this balance of doing and knowing the right things. Because if you're, only, if you're in a church that's only knowing right, you're only teaching good doctrine and teaching good theology, but you're never really accomplishing anything, you're never going out and doing it or living it out, that's a church that's full of prideful hypocrisy. They're very turned inward. They sit around and sing kubaya and stare at each other's belly buttons and say how wonderful Christians they are because they know all this stuff, but they're not accomplishing anything. But it's important that there's a church, that the churches don't just do the right things without the right doctrine. Uh, that's a little dangerous. That's, that leads to ignorant exertion. We're doing a lot of stuff, but we don't know the right things. We don't believe the right things. And in fact, if you look carefully... Uh, Jesus talks more about believing the right things than he does about doing the right things. And so it's important that we have this balance, this perfect, this wonderful balance of, of doing and knowing, knowing and doing. They go together, they go hand in hand. If a church is imbalanced, they're a little out of whack, folks, and they don't accomplish what God wants. But why does Paul spend this entire letter? I mean, think about this. Uh, he didn't type out 11 chapters. He wrote them out with his hand or had somebody describe them for him. Uh, that's all been done. And then he says, but you guys are rocking it. You guys are doing great. 
Well, here's why. Here's why. Because of number two. He says, never forget the significance of the gospel. Even when you're doing the right things, even when you're teaching and believing the right things, even when you're passing them on to your children and to others, don't forget the significance of the gospel. Look what he says in verses 15 and 16. He says, but on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. He's not, again, he's not writing to the Romans because of their bad theology or practice, but he did want them to remember, always remember the gospel and let it saturate everything they do. Folks, the gospel is not just something for us to believe on Sundays. It's not just something for us to, to, to get an eternal life insurance policy. It's something that should permeate and saturate every single area of our life. The gospel should change how we uh, communicate and interact with our spouse. The gospel should change the way that we teach and discipline our children. The gospel should change the way that we go to work, the way that we interact with our neighbors. The gospel should actually... permeate every single area of our life. And here he's saying it is the gospel, it is the gospel that makes the Gentiles, us, if you don't have Jewish heritage, it makes us an acceptable offering to God. In fact, he's using several Jewish terms here. Uh, the, priestly, uh, the priestly part there, let me go back here and let me, let me just show you that. I don't want to get too much in the weeds here, but uh, he says uh, the Gentiles in the priestly service, that's a Jewish term, of the gospel of God, so that the offering, that's a, that's a uh, Jewish term there, of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the whole, that's a, that's a Jewish term. These are all Jewish terms that he's using to say, listen, my goal is to make sure that you stay focused on the gospel, folks. It is important as our church continues to grow as we continue to uh, share leadership with many others, as the church gets wider and wider, it is critical and important that we always stay focused on the gospel. We cannot let our focus be driven in 50 different directions. We cannot decide that we're going to have a, a quilting club and a car club and a this club and a that club and a this club, and we're just doing a whole bunch of stuff out here, and we forget why we're here. And what changes our lives. And that's the gospel. That's the gospel. And folks, the gospel is very simple. When we saw, use that term gospel, if you're not familiar with it, it means good news. And what it, what it defines or what it is, it's the understanding and the realization that we are all sinners. That we can't do anything about our sin. We can't stop doing it. And so we need Jesus to make up the difference. He came, God sent him to the earth to pay the penalty for our sins on the cross. So when he gave his life on the cross, he was paying for our sins. And by putting our faith and trust in what he did on the cross and nothing else, we can have salvation. We can have the forgiveness of our sins. Now, as many of you know, I'm an occasional Uber driver. And I do that not necessarily because of the money, but because I find myself as our church grows and I'm, I'm spending more and more time with people that uh, look like me, think like me, have a worldview like me, uh, people that are kind of like me all the time. And I think it's important for me to have a, an understanding of how people think outside these walls. 
And so uh, being an Uber driver, I get the chance to do that. This week, I picked up a, a gentleman, and his name was Nick. I want you to pray for Nick, because Nick got in the car, and we only had about a 20-minute car ride. Uh, but in that period of time, uh, he found out that I was a pastor. He, he said he just moved to town. He was looking to go to a church, and he said, hey, um, I, I, you know, I, I, I think we're kind of we were kind of connecting. He said, hey, I'd like to come and visit your church. He goes, now, it's one, not one of those like fire and brimstone churches that says if you do something bad, you're going to go to hell, is it? And I thought for a second. I thought, how do I communicate to this guy in a way that I can tell him the truth without him jumping out of the car or something, you know, going crazy? And, I, and I, here's what I said to him. I said, well, here's what I came to understand in college. Like you, I don't like this view that, that everybody goes to heaven and in fact, I don't think the Bible teaches that everybody goes to heaven, except unless you do something really bad that the Christians don't like, and then you go to hell. That's not biblical. What I came to understand is, we're all going to hell. And he did this. He goes, his mind, it blew his mind. I said, we're all going to hell, but Jesus allows us to be saved from that. See, it's opposite. It's, the, it's a difference. It's a, it's a total upside-down view of it. People out here outside these walls view that Christians are in here saying, okay, if you're like us, you can go to heaven with us, but if you do this and this or this or this or this or these sins that we don't like because we don't do them, you're going to go to hell. But, but that's not biblical Christianity, folks. The gospel is all of us deserve to go to hell because we're all sinners. God is perfect, heaven is perfect, and we can't go there or we will mess it up except for the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And so I shared that with him. And Paul, all Paul's saying here, folks, is listen, you guys are doing the right things. You're teaching the right things. You're, you're, you're passing it on to your kids and other people. You're doing great. You're awesome. But just don't forget. Don't forget the gospel. I say these words sometime, and I say them so that you'll pick up on them. We should never get over that, folks. We should just never get over that. If we get to the place where we become complacent, about the creator of the universe sending his son to pay the price for our sins. If that becomes kind of nonchalant, if we can become nonchalant about that or like it's no big deal, we're missing it. We, we are missing it bad, okay? That has got to stay the central focus of everything that we do here. And Paul is reminding the Romans, even though they're doing great, that that needs to stay the central focus of what's happening there at the churches in Rome. Then he expresses his humble pride. Now, that may seem like an oxymoron. You may say, well, that's, that sounds kind of opposite. It's like jumbo shrimp, right? Uh, no, humble pride uh, is not an oxymoron. Let's look what he says in verses 17 and the first half of 18. He says, in Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. Humility does not come from the denial of reality, folks. We kind of get that opinion sometimes that, that there's this kind of false uh, humility that comes. It comes from the knowledge of the, auth of, of the acknowledgement of the author of the success. In other words, uh, when somebody, uh, if you go up to Christopher today and you say, hey, Christopher, man, you did a great job on VBS. And he does this, oh, shucks, I, I guess it was all right. I mean, you know, I had a lot of help and, you know, it was okay. I, I guess I did okay. We sometimes view that as humility. Folks, that's not humility. That's silliness, okay? Let's stop doing that kind of stuff, okay? Paul's not doing that. He says, look, in Christ Jesus, then I have reason to be proud of my work for God. Christopher should say, listen, I, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. Now, if he stops there, he's an egomaniac, 
Okay? But Paul doesn't stop there. Look what he continues to say. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. You see, understanding where the success comes from is the key to humility, not denying that it took place, not saying it's not true. When somebody comes up to the worship team and says, wow, the music was awesome today, nobody on this team should go, oh, no, it wasn't. We made, made a lot of mistakes. We, we did this too fast. We did this too slow. This wasn't together. No, we should say thank you. That, we, we enjoyed doing it. Thank you very much. God helped us. Listen, Christ is the source of Paul's work. Christ is the boss of his work. Christ is the completer of his work in ministry. When he says, I won't talk about anything except what Christ has been able to do through me, folks, it's not about him being awesome. It's about him yielding. That's what it's about. Many of you yielded this week. You offered to help with vacation Bible school, and you didn't really know what you were going to do yet. I thought that was interesting how Christopher got you to commit to it before he told you really what you were going to be doing. I thought that was great leadership on his part. That's a little bit of a joke, but not really. Because uh, many of you said, yes, I'll do that. Then you learned what you needed to do and how you needed to do it and what it was going to take to do it, and you did a great job. But the point is, you were willing. You yielded, and God used you greatly. It's not prideful to acknowledge truthful success in ministry unless we begin to take credit for it ourselves. That's where it becomes egotistical. That's where it becomes sinful. And Paul has this, uh, just this great, biblical, humble pride in what God has accomplished through him. Uh, listen, uh, it, when I do something, and, and it is really awesome, and it is really cool, I can tell you almost 100% of the time, that's because God's doing something in and through my life. In fact, you can probably tell. When I'm doing something really like stupid and uncool, that's almost always 100% me, all right? And the first service, my family all laughed really loud at that part because they know that more than anybody. And so, but it's not, listen, God's done a great thing in this church. He's done a great thing in this church. Look, 12 years ago, none of these people were together. None of this stuff was happening. God's done some really cool stuff. It's not because of me. It's because God's used me and others to minister to people and to, to see God work in their lives. It's not wrong to do that, folks. And so let's be careful that we don't become deniers of God's greatness in us, but we make sure that he gets the credit for it. Then Paul shares his unique ministry. Paul had a very unique ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. Look what he says in verses 18, uh, last half of 18 through 21. He just gets through talking about his, his, uh, um, his humility. He says, to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, like he talked at the beginning, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand." Paul's specific ministry was to be an apostle to the Gentiles with the power and the gifts of God. Some of the things he mentioned there, uh, it's not that we don't believe they happen today, but they happened regularly with the apostles. They happened regularly uh, in the early church because they didn't have the New Testament. They, all they had was the testimony of the apostles and God proving it to be true. But Paul had this special uh, uh, calling from God to evangelize and plant churches where the gospel had not yet been known. 
It was not Paul's specific ministry to pastor a local church, but to move from city to city where Christ was not known and share the gospel with the hopes that some would believe and begin a local work there, a local church there. And they were obedient to Christ in word and deed. We saw that. If, if you were here a couple of years ago, we went through the entire book of Acts, and we saw this pattern with Paul. He was doing this all the time. This was the specific will of God for Paul's ministry. There is a general inclusive will of God for all of us, and there is a specific and individual will of God for you. But all Christians are ministers of reconciliation. That is in God's general and inclusive will for everybody. Here's what I can tell you is absolutely God's will for you. That you receive Christ as your Savior, that you get baptized, that you get into a good Bible-believing church, that you have fellowship with other believers and are encouraged and, and, and help to grow uh, within that group. Now, what your specific individual will of God is for you, I can't tell you that. You've got to kind of figure that out for yourself and with God's help. Now, I can maybe guide you a little bit in that. I can, I can share with you where I've seen God use you before and, and work in your life. But I can't tell you whether you should be, you know, this ministry or this ministry or this one. You've got to figure that out for yourself. And Paul had. Paul had figured out that he was to be a church planter that goes from city to city planting churches. But he said, I, I want to be careful not to build on somebody else's foundation. Now, many pastors do that. When a church, uh, you know, loses their pastor for whatever reason, and they have to get a new pastor, that new guy comes in and he builds on the foundation of somebody else's work. It's not that that's wrong. Paul's not saying that's bad or that's wrong. He's just saying that wasn't what I was called to do. He was called to go and plant new churches, to go where nobody had seen, where nobody had heard about the gospel of Jesus and share it with them so that they would follow him. Now, Paul also then begins to ask the church uh, in Rome, and he talks to them about uh, requesting church planting support. Paul requests church planting support. Look at verses 22 through 24. He says, this is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. Now, that statement is talking about what he just said. Okay, so what he just said was, my ministry is to go in places where nobody has heard the gospel and, and start a church there. Now, Paul didn't start the churches in Rome. We don't, in fact, we don't know how the gospel exactly got to Rome, for sure. Um, and so Paul, there were already a bunch of churches there, and Paul says, I want to come to see you, and I want to come and visit with you. But he basically said, this is why uh, I have, have so often been hindered. Remember at the very beginning of this book, or of this letter, he said to them that he'd been hindered several times from coming to Rome. This is why. Because he was always feeling like he needed to go somewhere else where the gospel was not preached and share with them. So let's continue to read. Now, this is the reason why I so often have been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, because he's gone basically everywhere he could, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. And to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. So he's saying to them, hey, listen, I want to I come to Rome. I want to spend some time with you there. I want to hang out with you a little bit. But I'm also coming expecting help from you. I'm going to go to Spain, and I'm going to plant churches. That's my plan. But I expect help from you. And this word help actually means more than just, hey, I'm going to you know, help you out somehow. You know, it means some specific things. It means money, means resources, and it actually means people. 
He's saying, listen, I want to come there and hang out with you, but i got to get some help from you because I'm going to go into Spain. And if you remember in the book of Acts, uh, a lot of times when you go to a city, somebody would kind of tag along. They'd go with him to the next few cities. So Paul's saying, listen, when I come to you in Rome, I, I, mean, I need some help from you. It's going to take money. It's going to take resources. We want to plant churches in Spain, and I'm going to need help. And I may even need some of you to go with me to help me. I don't want this to become a church planting sermon, but you know how much church planting is in the heart of this church. This church started 12 years ago as an intentional church plant. It wasn't a church split disguised as a church plant. It was an intentional church plant because more people need to know Jesus. This morning, if every person in Clay and Platt counties decided they wanted to go to a good Bible-believing church, less than 10% of them would have a seat. Now, I know you look at these seats and you go, well, there's plenty of room for them here. Why don't they come here? Yeah, why don't they come here? We'll talk about that another day. They should be coming here. You should be inviting them. I should be inviting them. But the reality is, folks, it's going to take more churches to reach more people. And the longer a church, there's, there's no doubting this. There's no argument for this. There are churches that are exceptions, but as a general rule, the longer a church stays in existence, the fewer adult converts they have. When you look at a church that's 150 years old, yes, they're baptizing their kids. Uh, yes, they're, they're uh, uh, maybe leading some kids in vacation Bible school to Christ, but they're having very, 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 very few adult converts. People that have decided to follow Jesus. And so we got to get on the stick, folks. We're getting older every year. <laughs> and we got to make sure that we're the ones that break that, that uh, statistic. But Paul's requesting church planting support from them in Rome. Then he says the material blessing is an acknowledgement of spiritual indebtedness. These are some very interesting uh, words here in verses 25 through 29. Let's look and see what he says. He says, at present, however, in other words, that's my plans for the future to go to Spain. At present, however... I am going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. Probably furniture. Sorry. For they were pleased, for they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. Wow. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessings of Christ. Now Paul is going back to Jerusalem. He's, getting, he's either getting ready to do it or he's actually in the process of doing it already when he writes this. He's going back to Jerusalem to share this offering that he's been collecting from the churches that he founded. He said, and they were pleased to give to it. They were happy to give to it. And then he says something very strange. In fact, they owed them. Now that's a strange phrase. Why did these churches that just got started, why do they owe the church at Jerusalem something? And he's actually talking about cash, money. So we're taking up a collection of money to give back to the church of Jerusalem because you guys owe them. Well, here's what he's talking about. He mentions... In this verse, the Gentiles, as though the Gentiles somehow owe the Jews, because the majority of the believers in Jerusalem were Jewish converts. And by the way, 
those of us without Jewish heritage, we do owe the Jews because the Gentiles, we've been grafted into God's people. We've been grafted into the church. And then he says they also owe the Jerusalem church because their spiritual knowledge of the gospel has come from them. Yes, Paul's missionary journeys originated from the church at Antioch. That's true. But Christianity itself started in the church at Jerusalem. Folks, there is a theme through the New Testament to physically bless those whom you are receiving spiritual blessings from. Now, we give here at Fellowship of Grace for many reasons. We, we don't have a service. We don't have a worship service where we don't get the opportunity to give. But we give here at Fellowship of Grace for a lot of reasons. We do it to sponsor missionaries around the world. We sponsor over 5,000 missionaries all over the world. We give to support causes and ministries locally, uh, regionally, and internationally. We give to acknowledge God as the provider and to show our appreciation to him. We give to grow as generous people. We, grow, we give to pay ministry costs and vacation Bible school costs, the electric bill, all that stuff. We give to expand our facilities to accommodate more believers. You probably saw the, the Pierce Construction uh, thing out here. That's going to get started this week. But we also give to support those whom we receive spiritual growth and blessings from. That's a biblical principle. Now, many of you have come to know Christ or grown significantly through the ministry of this church, and your financial giving in some way is an acknowledgement of the spiritual blessing that you have received. Now, listen, I'm not saying that in order to... I mean, that's just in the Word. That's just in the Bible. I'm not saying... Listen, I'm compensated very fairly by this church, very fairly. And I'm not, you know, preaching this to get a raise or anything. This is, a, this is a biblical principle, but let me tell you something. We should never forget our spiritual debts. I have tried to find Wayne Butcher, the man who led me to Christ when I was 12 years old. I've been on the internet, I've tried to find him. Please don't send me all your, if you'd spend a couple of hours this afternoon to try and find him for me and send me a link, it's not him, I've already tried, okay? But I would love to find him and just call him up and say, hey, Mr. Butcher, he was a former Hell's Angel. I think that's a great name for that. Uh, Mr. Butcher, I just want to tell you, back in 1974, when you came and did a citywide rally in Lee Summit, I gave my life to Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for sharing the gospel with me. And I should send him a $100 gift certificate to Ikea so he can get some furniture. I mean, what, what, how can I pay this guy back? What can, I, what can I give him to ever pay him back for what he has given to me? I know he didn't save me. I'm not getting weird. All that. Listen, he spent some time and energy and effort preaching around, you know, back in those days, you know, tent revivals and citywide revivals and those kind of things. And, and, and I received Christ from it. A few years ago, I called Mrs. Saunders. Mrs. Saunders was my, I said third in the first service. She's actually my fourth grade teacher uh, at school and my fourth grade teacher at Sunday school in my, the church that I went to. Mrs. Saunders invested a lot in me. She, she loved me. She saw potential in me when, frankly, in fourth grade, not too many people saw much potential in me. In fact, they're still surprised when they find out I'm a pastor, okay? <laughs> Mrs. Saunders saw some potential in me. 
And I called her a few years ago, and I told her before she passed away how much I appreciated her. And it was really meaningful for both of us. Folks, do not, never, never forget your spiritual debts. I'm not doing this so you'll call me today if you got saved for the ministry of this church. Don't worry about that. But, but listen, if there's somebody else in your life, call them this week. Tell them thank you. Especially if they're your parents. Say, hey, don't, hey thanks for not just you know, feeding me and stuff, but man, thanks for giving me the best thing that I could have ever received from my parents. Don't forget your spiritual debts. Paul's saying not, not to do it. And he's saying, in fact, those who have uh, invested in your life spiritually, you owe, in a sense, a way of appreciation. And in this particular case, money is one of them. Then he talks about his prayer request. He lists three specific things in verses 30 through 32. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. He says three things there. First, he says, pray that I be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. If you know anything about Paul's life, if you were here when we went through the book of Acts, uh, Paul has been uh, tortured and beaten and uh, just really paid a heavy price for sharing the gospel. He's saying, listen, deliver, help, pray that I'll be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. Then he says, pray that those in Jerusalem will accept the gift that I'm bringing to them. Now think through that for just a minute. If somebody was bringing you a gift of cash money, anybody going to turn that down? We'd sit here and might say yes, but here's what I know really happens in the church. Uh, in fact, our church is really, our church is probably exceptional. You, you guys are really exceptional at being really good givers. Can I tell you a place where you all need to grow a little bit? You all need to learn to be better receivers. Here's what I mean by that. Listen, we, we, we love to give to other people. We love to bless their lives. But all of a sudden, when the shoe's on the other foot and we're the ones that need ministered to, we have a tendency to do this. Oh, oh I'm going to do the little humble thing. Oh, no, 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 don't worry about it. I'll, I'll get through it. I'll get by. Don't, no, don't do anything for me because, you know, please don't do that. Listen, we need to be good givers. But we need to grow in becoming better receivers. Now, my wife is probably one of the best givers, the best people that blesses other people than anybody I ever know. I can't even tell you how much money we spend on cards that my wife sends out. Well, we'll talk about that later. Uh, in fact, now I'm sure we will. Uh, but anyway, uh, here's the thing, though. When she got breast cancer, when she got breast cancer, she, she was like, man, I, people are doing so much for us. I just want to... I just want to tell them they don't need to do so much. And I, and I said to her, sweetie, listen, you're an awfully good giver. You're an awfully good giver. You need to work on being a receiver. Because here's the thing. When she's being a great giver, it blesses her. You all know that. When you're giving to other people and you're blessing them and you know you're blessing them, it blesses you, doesn't it? And so when we say, listen, back off. I don't need anything from you. When we don't accept what other people are doing for us, we rob them of that blessing, we take it away from them. We steal the opportunity for them to feel good about giving when we don't receive. So Paul's saying, listen, just, just pray that they'll be good receivers. 
that they'll, they'll accept it and go, thank you, thank you very much. So anyway, be good givers, but be good receivers. And then Paul said, the last thing I want you to pray for is, of course, my opportunity that I can come to Rome and actually see you. Then Paul kind of ends this part before he starts his really long goodbye next week in chapter 16 with Paul's blessing on the Romans. In verse 33, he simply says this, may the God of peace be with you all, amen. It's interesting that this is actually a Jewish benediction and he's speaking to churches that are most generally all Gentiles. He's emphasizing his own heritage as well as the spiritual unity. Again, remember he spent two whole chapters talking about how Jews and Gentiles can both come to God through Jesus Christ. We can both give our lives to Christ through the gospel and be brothers and sisters with one another, no matter where we've come from. Listen, the the gospel just saturated everything that Paul thought, everything that he said, everything that he did. It was the gospel that saved the Romans and helped them to mature. It was the gospel that was at the heart of Paul's calling and, and his ministry and his success. It was the gospel that gave him a heart to plant churches and see them reproduce. It was the gospel that saturated every thought he had, every word that he said, and every deed that he did. That's why, even in Paul's signing off, he keeps the gospel central. Before we go today, let me ask you this question. Is the gospel central for us, or is it just another compartmental part of our lives? Is it just something we do on Sundays or when the pastor comes to our house or, or when we pray around the table? Or does it permeate every area of our lives? Does it saturate everything that we do? Folks, the gospel should be at the heart of all that we do and say. And if it isn't, we have begun to forget what it has done for us and how important it should be to us. Don't forget, don't forget, don't forget what Jesus did for us and how we can have eternal life through faith in him. That should change everything. Listen, if you're here today and you are a follower of Jesus, I want to encourage you. Find a greater way to yield to what God wants you to do. Let the gospel and what he has done for us just permeate your mind to just saturate it, soak it, and everything you do And if you're here today and you've never made a decision to give your life to Jesus, I want to encourage you today. The gospel is at the center of what it means to have a relationship with God. And you can can connect with God that way very simply. There's no specific words or no magic in this or anything. It's just the decision you're on. You can say a prayer just like this. God, I come to you as a sinner. I know that I've sinned. I know that I can't overcome that myself, but I turn away from my sin and I give my life to you. I put my faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross to forgive me on my sins and I ask you to take my life and I yield it to you. In Jesus' name, amen. A simple prayer like that. All that is, folks, that is the, that is the symbol of a decision that you make in your heart. It's you stepping over the line of faith and saying, today, I'm deciding to give my life to Christ, and I'm putting my life in his hands. Folks, that changes everything, everything, everything. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word and your spirit that guide us and teach us. Father, most of all, we thank you for the gospel. 
the good news that you loved us enough to send us your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for us. God, I pray that we will never get over that, but that we will never become complacent to that, that we will never uh, lose that from being at the center of all that we do. God, help us to keep you centered. There are so many things in our lives that distract us, that pull us away, but God, help us to keep that at the center so that it permeates every area of our life, that it saturates us, and it changes the way we interact with everybody. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word and for the church in Rome that was a great model to us to say and do and to teach the right things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.